Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. It's your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Tuesday evening, where we have the opportunity uh, this Tuesday uh, to continue our reflections into uh, the towering figure of St. Augustine. And as I do each and every Tuesday, I have John O'Hare with me. So, John, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you. Good to be back again. So, John, as I said, you know, this is our third week into our study of St. Augustine. And, uh, I mean, we haven't spent uh, more than two weeks on anyone else. So, obviously, <laughs> by the mere fact we are taking up more than two weeks, we can appreciate that uh, he's a pretty important figure. And, and I've just kind of left it open. We're going to be in Augustine for a few more weeks at least. So, tonight, we have the opportunity to talk about some of my favorite uh, subject matter, and that is uh, the subject matter concerning memory. Now, uh, it is worth noting, John, our first night together, we took up the question of, uh, you know, why study history? And really, the best way to do that is to uh, take a look at memory. So we are going to uh, rekindle some of our discussion from, oh, what, eight months ago now? I think okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've been together. Use uh, our memory. For, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about memory, and uh, we're going to do so uh, in light of uh, the work we've been talking about, confessions, and then just kind of offer up our own commentary. And uh, it is worth noting, too, John, that St. Augustine himself takes up memory uh, in his work, Confessions, uh, post-conversion. Uh, so what we are made to see there, I think, is, uh, you know, this is really one of the first questions he takes up after his conversion— and for that reason alone, John, if we are serious about our conversion, we need to be thinking about this great topic of memory. That was the first chapter after his, shall we say, autobiography comes mm-hmm. to an end, is on memory. And uh, in preparation for this show, Joe lent me a book called Letter in Spirit by Scott Hahn. And we looked at chapter 6, The Persistence of Memory, Anamnesis and Actualization. I'm probably the only member of this audience that had to look up the word anamnesis in my dictionary. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> and for the few of you, that it does, it means a recalling to memory, recollection. And one of the aspects of memory to St. Augustine is liturgical. Mm-hmm. And it is mentioned that God told Moses to reenact the Passover with the Jews every year. That mm-hmm. was... Uh, that was from one of the directions from Mount Sinai after we had the uh, golden calf incident. Mm-hmm. And the Jews reenacted that annually. And we also have reenactment in, in the Christian church. But, you know, thinking of the, uh, the consecration of the wine and communion, all of this is a reenactment of memory. Mm-hmm. And memory is who we are. Go, going back to that first show, we talked about if you don't know history, it's like having Alzheimer. You know, yeah. who am I? Where, you know, what, where's yeah. my past? What do I relate to? Mm-hmm. So, one of the items that I, I looked at in this uh, particular uh, chapter by Scott Hahn, as it related to Augustine, was how memory and liturgy go together. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, uh, I don't want to say sacramentalization, but it's holy how we bring memory 
and liturgy together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, the word itself, the anonesis, in, in its literal translation, as we speak, it, speak to it as a kind of rememorializing, the best translation is an actualizing of the past to the present, right? So this is, of course, why in the Eucharist, you know, the body, blood, soul, and divinity is actually made present as he was there on the cross. I mean, there's, there's only one sacrifice, and that sacrifice is made present in that sense, yeah, John, when we go to Mass, every time we go to Mass, memory is very important because it is there where we enter into conversation with the past in every way. Um, so the past and present uh, kind of dialogue with each other in that beautiful way. In the first chapter of the section on memory, he says this, if I can read this, it'll be about 10 seconds. Oh, please. As for the rest of this life's experiences, the more tears are shed over them, the less worthy are they worth weeping over, and the more truly worth lamenting, the less do we bewail them while mired in them. In other words, I'm not telling you this to cry over it, nor Mm -hmm. should any of us weep over our past lives. The whole point is to go forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we don't want to spend a bunch of energy worrying about what we've done in the past. What we need to do is to go forward. And I'm thinking of Augustine. He goes back to Hippo. That may not be the most exciting place in the world. I mean, he did go to Milan, but there he was, and there he stayed, bringing Christ to those people. Yeah, that's right, John. I mean, if we are uh, dwelling in the past, then we will succumb to what we can call a tyranny of memories. It has like a power over us, where we then enter into this kind of you know, paralyzing nostalgia. We're not moving forward. But in fact, by not moving forward, we're actually regressing. Um, so that's a very important point by St. Augustine. And in light of this, John, we could also say we have to uh, pay close attention then to sense memory, huh? which, of course, St. Augustine takes up. Uh, this is widely important. I'm made to remember of, of a story I'd like to share here, John. You know, back in 2005, in one of my early trips to San Francisco for the Walk for Life West Coast, uh, this was, I think, the second trip I made. In the first, I was on the bus. I think you were on that oh, yeah. bus. And, uh, you know, that walk, Walk for Life West Coast, you, you take that walk down Embarcadero Street and um, with thousands of others uh, witnessing to the pro-life cause. Well, the second year, John, I went with a buddy of mine, and we, we took a car because I wanted to go to where I used to live. And, you know, I was reading up on John Paul II, and he talked about the need to go to that place where you once lived, and in so doing, take a pilgrimage into the past. And so I thought, you want to know what? I haven't been to my hometown in a very long time. My hometown was San Ramon. And so after the Walk for Life West Coast, I'm going to make that trip. And so after the walk was over, well, that's what I did. We found a great parking spot, and we were on our way, you know, right after the walk. And on our way to San Ramon from Embarcadero Street in San Francisco, I saw a sign, Chabot Junior College. Chabot Junior College is uh, a place where I spent uh, every weekend in in my adolescent years running track. And so I saw that sign and I thought, well, if this is going to be a pilgrimage in the past, then I I think I need to stop at Chabot Junior College. So it was kind of a pit stop to my original intention, but certainly it was supposed to be part of it. And so I told my buddy, let's stop here. And so we went to the stadium. And John, I will never forget what happened to me that day. Just driving up into the parking lot and looking into the stadium, 
this emotion just overcame me. I got out of the car, I went inside the stadium, and I was in tears. I mean, I smelled the grass. I, I saw the bleachers. And it was as if I was in that stadium 20 years ago. It was as if I entered a time machine. I was overwhelmed. In fact, literally speaking, John, I was actually getting nervous just being there because that was part of my experience there. And I was asking myself a new question. What's going on? Why am I being so overwhelmed by all of these emotions? And I quickly found out after reading St. Augustine what was going on. That all of our senses, John, sight, smell, what we hear, right? All of our senses find their path to that uh, cashew-shaped node of tissue, uh, the the hippocampus, right? Which, of course, is the long-term memory. And so this is why when we go to a particular place and we smell something, we are suddenly transported uh, to a particular experience in that place but 10 years previous, huh? And so that's what happened to me that day. And then I, I went, I did, I did end up going into San Ramon, and I had all of these other kinds of similar experiences that relate to sense memory. But the one thing I realized was the importance of memory. And after reading St. Augustine, coming to appreciate his words, that when you talk about the faculties of the soul, there's three faculties of, of the soul, intellect, will, and memory. With memory, it is... Uh, the principal faculty of the soul, because it is that most prolific catalyst of the human spirit that tells us who we are. Our memory is the faculty that tells us who we are. And when I was introduced to that, I was seeing things differently that day. I heard a commentary uh, in preparation for this week that brought in the Trinity. Memory is God the Father. Intellect is Christ the Son. Mm-hmm. Will is the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and those together form us. Yeah, amen. That's a, that's a beautiful reflection. And uh, yeah, and so it helps us better understand the importance of the faculties of the soul and certainly uh, the role of memory. I mean, without memory, I would not know how to get home from here. You know, w- without my memory, my brother's birthday is coming up. I would not know to call him. Without my memory, maybe my wife wants me to pick up milk on the way home. I would not know where to go. Without my memory, I would not be the husband, father, and brother that God has called me to be. And that's why when we talk about it within the context of identity, memory is that principal faculty that guides us and steers us into who we are called to be. Without memory, there'd be no San Ramon. There'd be no Joel Holcroft. There'd be no track. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is such a big part of our lives. Each of us has our own San Ramon. And uh, yeah, without memory, we aren't who we are. In the Christmas Carol, when uh, Scrooge looks out his window after he's seen Marley's ghost, he sees a man who was a businessman, and he's floating around as a ghost, and there's a woman in an alley with her child, a real woman. Mm. And... This ghost feels so sad, and he's got all these mo- all this money coming out. He can't do a thing to help her because he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. And he really wants to with all his heart. And I'm thinking of we who are on this side of the grave, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of a confession would it be unless he'd made the conversion? Mm-hmm. The whole point of this was he came back into the church 
and this organizes his life. And yes, he was a great mind, and he was a philosopher, probably a Platonist, probably a Neoplatonist. Periphery was one of the guys that he read mm-hmm. and liked. I've never mm-hmm. read Periphery. But um, all of this didn't give him truth. What gave him truth was he began to read the Scripture. He began to take it seriously. And now all of the, the philosophy gave him the appreciation that there's important stuff out there. But once he had something to hang it on to, now he was set to go. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like this Confessions, because he now doesn't have to be that ghost flapping around mm-hmm. trying to help somebody. I mean, none of us are either. Yeah, yeah. And so in light of this, you know, he, he continues to wrestle with all of it uh, because of memory. It, it's interesting. Benedict notes that when it comes to St. Augustine, he struggled a great deal with the memory. He struggled with the fact that, A, he had a phenomenal memory, and he certainly used it. His ability to write the way he did and, and recall, I mean, it was well known that, that Augustine had an extraordinary memory. So he's trying to reconcile this in light of, you know, certainly what all of that you're talking about, John, and trying to uh, make sense of it all, find that yoke which brings it all t- together. And, and that yoke is uh, the Eucharist why it's so important for St. Augustine and as well as for us because of those words, do this in remembrance of me. It is the epicenter of our faith, and it's no wonder, again, why Paul is going back to the, those words of the institution of the Eucharist, because in those words, do this in remembrance of me, this ultimately uh, defines us. Remember, Christ never said, uh, write this. He said, yep. do this. And in saying do this, he wants us, well, to do it. And this is why uh, this was the New Testament. We have to remember, John, that there was no New Testament, a point we've, made, we've drawn, out, drawn out in the past, as we know New Testament today. The New Testament was, well, what Jesus said it was, the blood of the New Testament. What is the blood of the New Testament? It is the sacrament of the Eucharist. I've gotten to some wonderful conversations with our non-Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ about this very point, that historically speaking, definitively speaking, for the first couple hundred years, we did not have the New Testament as we know it today. We've already discussed the Council of Hippo and, you know, 395 and, you know, the, the New Testament, the canon of the New Testament was later ratified. For the first several hundred years, for those Christians, when you talked about the New Testament, you were talking about the, the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross And you did so because you were following Christ's command. Do this in remembrance of me. And by sharing in the Eucharist, we are sharing in the transformation of history. And I think that is such a valuable point. We receive the Eucharist and we share in in the transformation of history by participating in the life of Christ and bringing that life to the world. Breaking off a little from what you said, I have always been frightened by Matthew 28, Christ's last words, go baptize all people, teach them everything I have taught you, goodbye. I mean, he had an awful lot of confidence in human talent and ambition, more mm-hmm. so than I do. I mean, what? That flabbergasts me. I mean, yeah. I don't know what you do if you're an apostle and you got to go do all of this stuff. And well, of course, it's also to remember the words of Christ, lo, I will be with you always. You know, he can say this because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's to remember that great passage from uh, the Gospel of John, uh, where he said, 
the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance uh, the things that I have taught you. So when our Lord is speaking to the apostles there, certainly he is um, boosting up the confidence of the apostles, but at the same time, he knows he can do so because he is empowering them uh, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we've noted so often, John, it is the Holy Spirit that is the protagonist of the church. It is the Holy Spirit that inspires the the apostles to to do this, and and ultimately in time to to write this as well. Do I have time to read uh, a uh, a short statement by Augustine in his oh, please do. Ritual Mass? Yeah, please do. Okay, this yeah. is his homily, and here it is. It's about forty five seconds. We firmly believe, brethren, the Lord has died for our sins. All that happened once and for all, as you know well enough. And yet we have the liturgical solemnities which we celebrate as, during the course of the year, we come to the date of particular events. Between the truth of the events and the solemnities of the liturgy, there is no contradiction, as if the latter were a lie. The historical truth is what happened once and for all. But the liturgy makes those events always new, for the hearts that celebrate them with faith. The historical truth shows us the events just as they happened, but the liturgy, while not repeating them, celebrates them and prevents them from being forgotten. Thus, on the basis of historical truth, we say that Easter happened once only and will not happen again. But on the basis of the liturgy, we can say that Easter happens every year. Thanks to the liturgy, the human mind reaches the truth and and proclaims its faith in the Lord, there is memory. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I mean, that is a beautiful, beautiful quote. And again, when we put this within the context of Christ's words, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remembrance, the Latin is amnesis. So, and that is the making present the past. Okay, there's only one sacrifice. Okay, yes. and, and that's what St. Augustine is talking about there. And so we enter into uh, that one sacrifice, and of course the great gift to us as, as Christian Catholics, ultimately, uh, John, is to see the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith, because it is where we enter into uh, that nuptial bond with Christ, that Christ seeks bridal union with our very souls. And it's interesting, John, because what's the next thing that St. Augustine talks about in his Book of Confessions? Time. It's time. Now, you and I have talked about time within the context of Kronos and Kairos. Again, rekindling some of uh, that subject matter from our first few weeks, huh? Kronos is man's time, you know, chronology, okay? What is linear? And then we have uh, Kairos, God's time, or a grace time. Uh, Kronos is what we put into our iPads, our planners, our iPhones, okay? Kairos is when God invades our life and uh, uh, has us suddenly changing what we put into our, our calendars because now we are more open to what God wants in our life and he might be changing our schedules. Kairos is God's time, grace time. But above all else, when you talk about Kronos and Kairos, what is horizontal and vertical, John, you have to go to the altar. You have to talk about the Eucharist because it is in the great miracle of the Eucharist each and every day that Kairos penetrates man's time. And suddenly, 
man's time is shaped and formed by God's time, grace time, what is infinitely infinite, right? And that's, I think, so important for us to think about. I, I love the more practical reflection that if you were to take up the number of priests we have today, and today's estimate, John, is roughly 346,000 priests. If you were to draw that out and, and do the math, what does that mean? Well, let me help you with that math. That means this. Every second of every day, and think about this. If you're doing something uh, right now at home, maybe you're cooking dinner or something, stop and think about this. Every second of every day, four hosts are being consecrated. I mean, in John 6, Christ uses this language of eating, and he, he goes to the plural. In the last usage of eat, in the Greek, it speaks to uh, constant consumption, what is essentially perpetual, uh, the eternal banquet. John, I don't know how we can uh, better translate what that looks like than four hosts are being consecrated every second of every day. That is literally an eternal banquet. And I would dare say it is because of that that the planet Earth is still uh, on its axis, <laughs> yes. you know? I mean, <laughs> and again, this we are talking about because then every second of every day we enter into the life of Christ and we are having that conversation with the past. Remember, and this comes out in Letter and Spirit, what tradition is. Tradition links us to our ancestors. And in so doing, it allows us to have that conversation. We had made a point in our opening week, John, to talk about uh, memory as it relates to to our families and even to our nation. And, uh, you know, there is a reason why we take pictures, we frame them, we mat them, and we hang them up. To remember them in some abstract way? No, but to remember them for who they are, reflecting upon their lives, and in so doing, be mindful of who we are called to be so as to better understand where we are called to go. And that is certainly what St. Augustine was talking about uh, there when you were talking about the future. You know, let us focus on the future, not neglecting the past, not forgetting about it, because certainly for everything we've talked about, that's important, but being mindful that we're going to be a better version of who God wants us to be if we appreciate the tenacity of those who have gone for, before us, uh, both in our uh, biological forefathers and certainly, John, in our spiritual pedigree as well. They are true. I mean, all of these fathers we've gone through are examples to me. Uh, and it's been great going through these guys because these were heroes to me. Mm -hmm. well, uh, and I, I, you know, I can't go back, but I, I can try to recreate their lives and try to see the problems that they faced. And it just is so illuminating to me about what virtue mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And as we go into the confessions, we have time and then we have... Uh, the scripture. He'll go into scripture. And all of this is tied together with scripture. He had all this great education, but without the scripture, this was the scripture that tied it together. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's doing this. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm doing this, mm -hmm. you know, because of that. Yeah. And one of the things that certainly St. Augustine is known for is that we've talked a great deal about typology. He's, again, with Origen and, and a few others, 
he's one of the earliest figures to really uh, draw out the importance of seeing the old in, in light of the new and in the new in light of the old. And he would not hesitate, John, from speaking to, you know, the larger deposit of faith, of course, the importance of tradition, as he was speaking to in that quote that yeah. you read for us, which was a beautiful quote, that to see scripture and tradition in light of each other, um, with the magisterium interpreting both, uh, there's another trinity for you. You know, we have uh, the trinity of of uh, the faculties of the soul, you have the trinity and the deposit of faith, that is, sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. St. Anselm, I think, was a big help to him. Oh, he explained yes. the allegorical aspects of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It made much better sense to Augustine. It really enlivened his faith, John, because uh, that's what happens when you come to know where you come from. I mean, what are we talking about when we talk about allegory? An allegory is the description of one thing under the image of another, right? It anticipates what is yet to come. So in the Old Testament, we see figures who are shadowy figures to that of Christ, who prepare us, who who help us anticipate the person of Christ. Now, to do that, to to go through a study of, of how Christ is a new Abraham or a new Moses is to better appreciate that God had a plan for us from the very beginning, John. He had a plan for us from the very beginning, and that was very important for St. Augustine. And this is part of why he took up the whole memory thing, because because once he saw that God had a plan from the beginning and he was able to trace that, that became quintessential to him now working through other theological aspects of, of his faith. It essentially gave him a, a new energy and a new fervor. And this is why we see in 2014 today, um, many people studying sacred scripture, uh, reading the old in light of the new and new in light of the old, and being re-energized in their faith. Um, it was in St. Augustine's first catechetical instruction to one deacon that he tells him, after a deacon had asked him, how do I go about catechizing? He says, show them how Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise. I'm a child of the 1950s, golden age for America and even for religion, Catholic and Protestant. The Bible was not mentioned that much in the Catholic Church. Mm. Compared to nowadays, it is much, much, much more apparent. I mean, I'm in a meds Bible study, and it's quite out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to see, I mean, it was always there in the church. I mean, the back in the back in the 50s, most of the Mass was right from the Bible, yeah. still is. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, it just is my ignorance. I just didn't see it there. Sure. And that's why in, in, in the Second Vatican Council, one of the documents, Dave Airboom, the Word of God, Great Sacred one, yeah. Scripture, it's in paragraph 11 that we read, Sacred Scripture is the soul of all theology. And in light of that... Yep great truth that the revelation of Jesus Christ as recorded in sacred scriptures, the soul of all theology, we must root anything and everything we do in sacred scripture. And certainly this comes out strong in St. Augustine. Uh, We're out of time, John. Great program. Thank you so much again for the gift of your time. Let us wrap up in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. 
heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.